Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready. So, let us begin. Miggs Mayfeld, who we know from the first season of The Mandalorian, uh, as portrayed by Bill Burr, is working at a prison scrapyard. He's approached by Marshal Cara Dune, as we uh, saw foretold in the last episode. He's enlisted in a new job, involving, of course, his old frenemy, uh, Din the Mandalorian. Uh, they need his uh, his knowledge. He's got a particular set of skills where it comes to the interiors of the Empire. They need to infiltrate and get the coordinates for uh, Moff Gideon's cruiser. So they take off. They kind of uh, break him out of prison legitimately. On the Slave One, they go to uh, Morak, uh, which is not just a planet of nothing, as they kind of suspect. He tells them it's a secret mining base for the Empire. When they arrive, they determine Mando is the only member of their team who can feasibly assist Mayfeld uh, on the ground, uh, but first they need to get him some proper Imperial armor, so classic Star Wars trope, they take it from some stormtroopers. Yeah, so they hijack uh, a ground transport uh, while it's in a tunnel. Uh, they steal the stormtrooper garb uh, so that Din has a different form of helmet. Uh, he gives uh, his best guard a Kara to, to hold on to for him, uh, and then Migs and Din get in a very... Uh, kind of humorous buddy cop back and forth uh, as they drive the transport uh, to the Imperial base. On the way, they hear some interesting chatter over the comm as they're balancing the Rhydonium levels, very much like a video game in terms of don't let the Rhydonium levels get too high or else you'll explode. Uh, they realize that there's some pirates who are blowing up these ships and then the pirates kind of come out of nowhere. Uh, and then Din realizes, okay, uh, let me crawl out the window, start picking some of them off. So he shoots a few, crawls up to the roof because he realizes, oh, wait a minute, my blaster's out. Uh, and then uh, a hand-to-hand -hand fight ensues, whereas Din is trying to make sure that thermal detonators do not blow up their transport filled with the highly explosive Rhydonium, while uh, Migs Mayfeld is screaming at Din uh, to ensure that the Rhydonium levels stay level and make sure that none of them blow up on their way to the Imperial base. Din successfully defends them off as they get their way there, and then two TIE fighters swoop in at the last minute, uh, to save them when it really looks like uh, they're out of their resources and the pirates are just going to blow them all to smithereens. But the TIE fighters get all the pirates. Uh, and then Din and Migs are kind of treated like heroes by the rest of the stormtroopers and they salute them and they make their way uh, into the Imperial base that they intended to infiltrate. Yeah, they kind of have a, a hero's welcome uh, where Migs kind of has like a little bit more knowledge about what's going on in the inside. So basically they're here to do a little flash drive action, like classic spy thriller stuff like we've seen in... In, in Rogue One, for example. Um, they know exactly where they need to go. Uh, Mayfelt is a, a little wary of doing that because he looks into the room first and he recognizes like an upperclassman, like an upper-ranking Imperial officer uh, as a guy who he worked beneath in his time in the Empire. And he doesn't want to create any kind of familiarity. He doesn't want to associate with this person. And so uh, Din says he'll go. The problem with that is that in order to log into the system, they need to scan your face. And so uh, he kind of willfully submits to taking off his helmet because there's no other uh, solution. And sure enough, this high-ranking Imperial official approaches Mando knowing something looks kind of off, starts talking to him, uh, asking for uh, his TK number, asking for his designation. Mando is like definitely going to shit the bed and blow his cover here when uh, Mayfeld swoops in and just 
sweet talks the whole situation down. He just like, he has an answer for everything. Uh, they chat up this guy who's like classic smarmy, uh, sneering imperial uh, bastard. Um, basically, this guy's like, come get a drink with me. You guys saved the day. You're the only transport vehicle that actually made it back. Come get a drink with me. And then they're going to talk shop for a little while. Uh, very quickly, uh, Bilber uh, proves to be incapable of of letting his um, his character stay intact. And he starts challenging this guy on some of his uh, genocidal history because he has a personal connection with it. Uh, this guy is just sneering and kind of smugly laughing all through it. When he suggests to Mayfeld that his retrieval of all that Rhydonium will contribute to more chaos, uh, Mayfeld can't hold it in any longer, uh, shoots him in the chest, and then they've got to make a daring breakaway. Uh, they're in the middle of the cafeteria, and the stormtroopers don't know what the fuck just happened. <laughs> and so Mayfeld just turns around and shoots a few more, uh, and then Din does the same. And then they knock out a window, and they make their daring escape, uh, essentially scaling the walls of the building. Uh, they do a cool, couple cool maneuvers by uh, kicking the little gun when the guy tries to stick it out the, the bottom of the windowsill to shoot their feet. And they're like, fuck that shit, and they shoot them through <laughs> the window uh, blinds. Uh, they climb to the roof. Uh, and where Boba Fett uh, has been, uh, they've called him in. Uh, Caradun and Fennec are with the sniper rifles picking off the other stormtroopers. Uh, and then uh, Mayfeld and Din get swooped up by Slave One. Uh, Mayfeld asks for the cycler rifle. Uh, he was a sharpshooter uh, in the Empire, not a stormtrooper wise ass. And so he <laughs> shoots the Rhydonium to make sure that it is not uh, going to be used for other bad and nefarious tactics. And so that way he can kind of sleep at night knowing that uh, he did not contribute further to the Empire's tyranny. Uh, they leave off in the Slave One, and uh, Caradun is fairly content with uh, what Miggs Mayfeld has done and the penance he's shown, uh, especially what he did with uh, blowing up the Rhydonium. And so uh, she talks about how it's such a shame that uh, he, the, the prisoner, had to, uh, had to die in that explosion on Morak. And so uh, it was kind of a wink-wink, nudge-nudge. Hey, Miggs Mayfeld, get out of here. You're, you're, you're fine. You can go be a free man uh, under a new identity. Uh, and then they decide that they're going to go off uh, with the coordinates to Moff Gideon, uh, where we get one of one of the maybe 20 coolest moments in all of Star Wars. The most, one of the most badass monologues, one of the most reverse, fuck you, I'm coming for you. Just one of, just one of the best little speeches. I've got it right here. Uh, Moff Gideon, you have something I want. You may think you have some idea what you are in possession of, but you do not. Soon, he will be back with me. He means more to me than you will ever know. Flipping those lines, yep. switching the it's for the he's, I loved it. I gotta tell you, I did not like that particular ending nearly as much as you did. <laughs> oh, I did. I know it's a matter of, it seems like you kind of blew your cover, but at the same time, <clears throat> that's not the game Din plays. He's a Mandalorian. That He is going for the intimidation factor. You're right. And that and... was my first observation as well. It, it bothered me that he's kind of like, he's kind of costing himself the element of surprise. Um mm. But it's not just that. It felt um, decidedly uncool of Mando to me. Like he was kind of not keeping his chill. And that is decidedly against the character. And so I, I do appreciate that it, we do kind of leave Gideon a little shook. It's nice to see that he's had his shit rocked for the first time in the series so far. But like in general, um, 
I, I, it just, it kind of struck me as, as an odd thing for Mando to do. It's a very taken-y speech. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But that's actually why I like it because it's not like him. Okay. This is a moment where he has fully been challenged. And the episode is called The Believer. Uh, the entire episode, he's being challenged on his beliefs as he's challenging Miggs. And they're kind of like going back and forth. Din's not saying much, but Miggs is doing a lot of the sparring himself. And it really comes down to Din choosing to be the man over the Mandalorian, choosing his son over his creed. And in doing that is not acting like himself making himself even more unpredictable and even scarier to someone like Moff Gideon. Din Djarin doesn't say much. So when he's calling and providing you with a monologue and Moff Gideon knows exactly who he is. Din Djarin, Kara Cynthia Dune. Yeah. Disgraced magistrate, grief carga. He knows all about these people and this is a sideways move. And so it's almost as if maybe he knew he was gonna be coming anyway and this was his way to kind of flip that on and said, I, I, I fully get that it's not like Din, but I specifically see that as him kind of changing his behavior. Like Kara even calls uh, Grogu his kid in the episode and like Din doesn't correct that. That's it's, true. This is his son he's going to get back. Well, and, and it's a fair point because really a big theme of this episode is Mando's willingness to step outside some of his rigidity. Uh, and the, the main example of that is his removal of the helmet, which previous to this, he would have shot the guy in the chest himself right then. Like, or or he would have gone to more extremes rather than deciding, okay, I'm going to be reasonable and take off my helmet here. Um, and, he and died and, in the season, uh, last season, season finale, remember? Absolutely. He was willing to to die. And he even needed to have it explained to him that robots are not people, which is, I think I remember thinking that was like a little, he'd probably understand that much. Um, but uh, I also appreciated that uh, from Bill Burr's, uh, not so much his character development because he's still pretty two dimensional, but um, but his development in his relationship with with Mando. Because you're right, the first act of this episode, he's so antagonizing and challenging uh, Mando's beliefs and what he perceives as hypocrisies and inconsistencies. And then in the end, he's willing to accept that because Mando made this uh, sacrifice or kind of bent the rules for the greater good. Listen, I'm gonna look away. You did what you had to do. I never saw your face. And then he turns and he hands the the helmet kind of blindly to him. So that was like a really um, heartfelt moment. I want to talk about, about Bill Burr at length. I think there's a lot of things to say here. But uh, most conclusively, what I'd like to say is that I think he, in this episode, entitles himself to one of the highest characterizations you can achieve in Star Wars, which is moral scoundrel. Like absolutely scummy guy who at the end of the day does what's right because he uh, wants to sleep at night. And like that's those are some of your favorite Star Wars characters. Now, he's also supremely Bill Burr. Yeah, um, I'm OK with it. Me too. But like right down to the fact Less that so like, in the last episode, a little bit. Uh, I think he shows character growth. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't say like wise ass, but like he. he like just the fact that like he very quickly is like, I'm not wearing this helmet. I can't see, which is really just so the show can keep his charismatic face on screen for 40 minutes. Yeah. But uh, that's not Bill Burr's fault. He's charismatic. That's why they put him in the show. Um, and, and for some reason he works. Oh, he really works. It's uh, he plays a similar role to kind of like what DJ does in the last Jedi, but actually well, yeah. in the sense it's like uh two sides kid. 
don't choose. <laughs> don't choose. But whereas he's really kind of pointing things out a lot better, like when he's like honking through the town and like they're making eye contact with the, the kids on the street. Uh, and it's uh, yeah, it, it's very real world while being able to kind of make these comparisons. And, and I think it does it a lot better than a lot of other times in Star Wars. There's a lot of nuance in the way that um, those lines are delivered. And then also the fact that it's in kind of like a, what looks to kind of represent like a heavily colonized uh, African community sort of thing where it's uh, well, like a, kind a blood of. diamond sort of mining uh, colony. I was kind of thinking more like the first season of Mandalorian is so distinctly a Western and this show has gone to great lengths to also add in that it's a samurai movie. But in, mm. in this particular episode, it felt like Vietnam. Yeah. Oh, that's a good comparison. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's uh, definitely going back to kind of those Endor vibes. Uh, but I thought Morak was a cool planet. Uh, I was pleased to get something that was a bit of a different vibe. Have we and, not been uh, to Morak before? Why does it ring familiar? No, I don't even know if it was canon or it, it, it might have been. I didn't really look uh, look it up, but I had never heard of it before. Oh, wow. Um, so That's I think it funny. might have been just created for this. I swear it sounds familiar to me, but I, I, I don't know what. Maybe it's just uh, similar to something else. Um I'm trying to think of like what else I wanted to say about Bilber's character. He, of course, gets to be a, a much better person uh, in this episode. Do you think we'll see him again? It seems likely. Yeah, I would think so. If And I mean, we can get into that maybe a little bit later. I mean, we don't know exactly maybe the medium in which we'll see him or... Um, different show, maybe. Di different show. But yeah, uh, I think we will see him in some capacity again. Uh, I guess if we're, if we're going to talk about, about Migs, um, the, really the only the other things I have are mostly some quotes so if we want to do some quotes now yeah i mean um, most of the quotes from this episode from are his uh the little green guy um you know for a second i thought you were this other guy when he says that to, to boba fett which is such a great moment and then immediately it turns out to be din after all and while we're on the subject i know i'm a little all over the map but one of the great wins of this episode is the new boba fett paint job oh my god absolutely what it a beauty so badass yes. absolutely love it and while we're talking about boba fett and quotes the one of the most one of, going to be one of the most iconic lines in all of Star Wars. Let's just say they might recognize my face. <laughs> yeah, that's a great line because it's it's understood by the masses, but it also kind of winks to the more niche Star Wars fan. I think like that runs deep. His face. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, that's gonna. There's there's millions. He tells uh, Cara Dune, uh, Migs does, before before they take off on that big crawler, he says, you know, it's a shame you're not coming along with us. You've got such a sunny disposition. Can't imagine how much fun you'd be in one of these. Yeah. I mean, it's common courtesy. Common courtesy to tell someone where it is you're taking them. I don't think that's so hard to ask. Do you? <laughs> uh, he says, look, if you're born on Mandalore, you believe one thing. If you're born on Alderaan, you believe something else. But guess what? Alderaan. He does say it differently, doesn't he? But guess, and, but guess what? Tanab. Neither one of them exist anymore. Yeah, good line. Yeah. What is Tainab? Um, that's uh, oh, when was uh, when was the Battle of Tanab used? It was my master um, question for you, which you already Battle know the of Tanab. Uh, that was be Lando's maneuvers during the Battle of Tanab is what got him his uh, general uh, promotion in Return of the Jedi. That's what it was used before. Clearly, um, clearly, you're the master because that was that was the answer. I, I my master question for you was where does Mayfeld say brown eyes suffered a cabin pressure malfunction? Oh, in, in Tanab. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So in, in Tanab. Um, but I also love that. I think that's great that you have, and George Lucas specifically uh, 
endorsed this and that's the reason why you get mispronunciations in star wars yep because that's what happens when people are from different places they say things differently right uh, the same way chicago or like new york or like any it doesn't matter it, there are so many different ways you can say something so for him to say alderan and tainab makes complete sense uh, with his space so, boston accent it works for him especially well absolutely and so i i, I was very much in, in favor of that Never, th um, never thought you'd be happy to see stormtroopers. Are you seriously shooting a blaster near Rhydonium? <laughs> you think you should have left me in prison? What is Rhydonium? Just, is there a, is there a, a basis for what Rhydonium is, or is it just like a? It's a volatile fuel. Yeah, yeah. It's been used in other Star Wars uh, canon uh, and others and other stories. We just call them brown eyes. I, and actually, my my favorite brown eyes quote comes from from Val and Hess let's get a drink brown eyes I just think that's that could be a good episode title maybe I think it's a contender um Bill Burr says as far as I'm concerned you make it through your day and still sleep at night you're doing better than most that's kind of the the tag on the end of a longer speech but it, much of what he says in that particular conversation in the crawler is really well written stuff oh absolutely uh, and that was the thing you could only pick some of it because uh, everything he says yeah Empire New Republic all the same to these people. Invaders on their land is all we are. That's right. That's what reminded me you, of Vietnam. And by you people, I mean Mandalorians. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great one. That could be the title of the episode. Yeah. Um, we also could do the Boba Fett line, which is such a great one. Yes. Um, yeah. He was kind of underused in this episode a little bit. Like, it's, it's cool that I he's there. I imagine he'll be used well in the next one. Probably so, yeah. I mean, he was he, he was cool while he was there, um, and he's not here to be the star of the show as the guy who wears armor that looks like that, so I get it. And they clearly, you know, like brought in Bill Burr to be the, you know, th the buddy because we were lacking our other little buddy in this episode. And mm -hmm. and, and the show could get crowded pretty quickly, too. Um, Absolutely. No Grogu at all in this episode. I guess that was, that was my only real take back was the fact that it would have been nice to see like a shot of him. No, they did that on purpose. They they want you to miss him this week. Yeah, no, we'll see fair. him next week. They want you to miss him because he's coming up. And um, do you do you think that he's going to get Grogu back in the season finale? Are we going to have like a somewhat satisfying end or is it going to leave us hurting? No, it's going to be a satisfying end. I, I thought Grogu was going to be kidnapped in the season finale. Yeah. Uh, but because that's not happening, I assume... But while we're on that topic, um, let's quickly shift to episode 16. Okay. Um, because what are we going to get in that last episode? Um, I think the, because we got that Boba Fett's feet in episode, in chapter five. Uh, we got uh, the Darksaber in chapter eight. We got Boba Fett um, using the binoculars in chapter nine. So these are all like these little things at the end. Uh, and the heavily rumored uh just across the world uh belief is that the cliffhanger for this episode and i it's very logical would be if we see uh like a jedi approaching the seeing stone on tython and then it's yeah. a matter of who's the jedi who's the jedi who is coming to answer the call and so that'll be interesting to kind of see and like what are going to be these these cliffhangers so that's where i think they're going to kind of leave things off as to um, making us yearn for more along with all the other things that are going to be intertwining within. Maybe they're more likely to leave us on the hook, like kind of on the edge of the cliff with who the Jedi turns out to be, though. Maybe we're not going to be given a, like a fully satisfying reveal where it comes to that. Yeah, that's possible. Uh, there were some really hardworking fans uh, on the internet who uh, did some map overlays as well on uh, Moff Gideon's uh, um, 
ship yeah this cruiser as to where it was located and so uh one guy in particular uh on on, on youtube he he charted the courses and took into account hyperspace lanes and wow. so depending on where the front of the cruiser was on the triangle where they could be going one of them was uh like was like narshada which is uh, like a was a, a world where it's like a very underground world but one of them conveniently is seems too obvious to be where they're going and probably is and one of them they're right on the start of a hyperspace lane that goes directly to camino oh so that makes a ton of sense and maybe we're going to camino uh where boba fett grew up i freaking love camino boba that fett grew up on camino and he's going home to assist din while din goes and rescues his son from the new labs that are being run by the new first order imperial remnants there that is going to be a cool season finale. I mean, I don't want to get my hopes up too much, but that just makes too much sense. Yeah, although, as we mentioned last week, like all kinds of more emotional shit could hit the fan if he, if Boba Fett is forced to be face-to-face -face with Jedi, right? Mm -hmm. that, that could be a kind of, he's got some baggage where, where, where the a Jedi... A Jedi forced him to leave Kamino. That's right, yeah. Yeah, Obi-Wan showed up at Kamino. Pack your things, we're leaving. And I think for sure there's going to be uh, some kind of duel between um, Din and and Gideon for sure with that Beskar staff and the dark saber. I mean, you've been telegraphing that for weeks. That seems like that's for sure. There's no reason for him the Baskar have the Baskar staff if not to cross blades with with Gideon. Yeah, it just it makes too much sense. Yeah, uh, and so that that's the whole reason it was put in there. Yes, yes. Uh, and then another couple of things. And so you know how I, I mentioned about the George Lucas who like as like a like a joke, people were kind of like imagine if it was George Lucas because we don't know for sure who's directing episode 16 i i was thinking and this is related to uh because there was so much star wars news and we'll get into it later on but there was like a mountain of new star wars properties that were announced not included was the ryan johnson trilogy oh yeah okay what will happen with that nothing something we don't know who's a director they definitely would not want to announce george lucas or Ryan Johnson. Well, Ryan Johnson, yeah, he was actually trending today, and I'm not sure why, but like a lot of Star Wars stuff was trending today on Twitter. That's not yeah, what you're... He actually he answers like fans when they ask questions about Star Wars, as opposed to a lot of other people, and so okay. he he trends frequently. I didn't, I don't know what this is about, okay, but um, like he'll answer like behind the scenes stuff from once in a while, so he can, he trends pretty often. So what are you getting at? What what do you mean? What if Ryan Johnson's directing the season finale as kind oh. of a getting back in the fans good graces he is initially known for television he oh yeah i know he he wrote or not or at least you know he directed the highest rated television episode of all time on anything which Ozzy is Mandius and breaking bad um oh. it's the best episode in, of anything i will i will back that claim too it is in he, it he had directed a couple other ones too he may have directed the fly as well which is potentially the most iconic episode of breaking bad it's a bottle episode um and it like walt is like going crazy because there's a fly in the room and he can't kill it um and so like ryan johnson i don't know like he's either never gonna do something in star wars again or he's gonna need to be brought back into the good graces and this is this would be how you would do it does he still sit in bad graces though i kind of think that the like the the general admonishment of rise of skywalker 
among the fan base has kind of given people a new lens on some of the value of The Last Jedi. I think Knives Out has helped to kind of recalibrate the general opinion of Ryan Johnson as a as a director and a creator. I, I feel like people are not going to be angry to learn that Ryan Johnson is making Star Wars again. I, f- I really disagree with you on that one. Uh, I think people would be really mad. I don't think people have... Uh, <clears throat> I, th- I think there's less conversation about The Last Jedi but if you look, it's all there. If Ryan Johnson's brought up, it's still the same level of uh, of hatred. Um, and it still comes up in like Star Wars subreddits constantly or different places where you'll like, just like out of fucking nowhere, it just turns into a let's shit on Ryan Johnson like uh, conversation. And actually it's, the whole trilogy. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's the thing. And, yeah. and I, I don't... And, and the, the the true greatest problem of that trilogy is Kathleen Kennedy thinking that she could get away with JJ and Ryan not working together. Right. And uh, there's your problem from all of it. Blame the three of them for not working together more. Neither of them individually get should get the problem. Um, but I, I just think it could be a really cool way to, to bring that back if you ever want to get them uh, back in that sandbox and get people more okay with it. Because there's no way people would watch that episode, love it, and then hate it after because they saw that Ryan Johnson directed it. People wouldn't take it that far if they're already loving The Mandalorian. You're probably right. Well, and they also kind of have this this fun uh, routine of not telling you who the director is until the episode is over. Like it, they decidedly don't reveal who the director is at the start of the episode. And so you kind of get to like watch it blindly. And we can just kind of as students of the game, we can kind of surmise here and there. But in this case, it's a completely blind uh, entry could be John Favreau. It's I think likely if, Favreau. I think if it's if it's like not a a, a risky pull, it's, if it's not like some kind of stunt hire, it it is probably Favreau, and that'll be phenomenal. It make a lot. I'd of put sense. that at like ninety percent that it's Favreau. It's it, kind of off topic, but is it possible? Because I've never thought about this before. Is it probable that Kathleen Kennedy's idea for having three different directors for the sequel trilogy, but that she was just trying to recapture the magic of having had three different directors in the original trilogy? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and wanting to make sure, and because George Lucas wanted that for stylistic difference, right? And that's fine, and, and but you just you need to have that person, and there was no overseer. George Lucas directed way more of Return of the Jedi than Richard Marquand, mm. which means that George Lucas directed basically two of those movies, and he would have changed more in Empire, but Irving Kirshner was his mentor, and so he only had. He gave him enough respect on certain things, but it's was still so heavily George um, that there was just no one who was that through line in this one. Um, but I guess kind of more back to this episode and talking about uh, kind of the people who were involved. This one was written and directed by Rick Famuyiwa. Yeah. And uh, I thought it was great. I think it was a perfect uh, proof that he can continue to expand his role uh, in in the Star Wars leadership. Well, and notably, he did the Bill Burr episode last season, which it, it makes perfect sense. And 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 just to cap off episode that other conversation well. about, about uh, styles, like stylistically, episodic television is a great way to, it's a great way to kind of training ground different directors for what their, their work might look like and feel like. Like, they knew they were going to do a lot of violent hand-to-hand combat in the most recent episode before this for this one um and so like if we can get robert rodriguez in to do that like that's kind of his forte why not allow that to happen so i think interestingly though i noticed um because of uh chapter six as well um the it's called the prisoner anyway the prison break one um that one and 
this one are it's not even close the two episodes with din doing the most hand-to-hand combat yes it's not even close he does them the most in those two and he's so badass and so rick's got definitely some good uh kind of uh, or or maybe he's working he's got a good uh like second director that he works with for that sort of stuff but whatever it is um the the fight choreography the fight choreography and the ability to most likely uh produce a very compelling jedi duel Mm. i I think is there and so I i would be intrigued to see him um partake in get that opportunity to uh, get maybe a bit more of an ex- uh, extravagant uh, hand-to-hand uh, or duel of sorts a lot has been said this year um, on this podcast and elsewhere about the the sort of rote formula of the mandalorian in its regular episodes and and certainly they they veer from that and they've done very effectively uh so in the last couple episodes because we've just raved about how exciting they were um interesting isn't it that this episode in particular this second last episode of the season kind of returns to that form a little bit of like enlisting the help of an old friend to go do this mini mission which will help us get to the bigger picture uh and along the way we kind of get like some Mm. some scrapes and bruises uh, but ultimately, we we escape in a ball of fire. Yeah, it, it definitely hits kind of that 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 mold in that regard as being you could say kind of like a side mission to to get something. But I actually I, I I really liked the way they did it in this one because I was so heavily expecting it to be like uh, chapter seven. Yeah. Chapter seven is I'd say probably the most not a full episode of any episode in the series in the sense that it is a part one of two. It is not really its own episode. Um, whereas most everything else stands alone, and so does this. Yep. Uh, and I, chapter seven, I, I adored. It was just, it, it, chapter seven and eight are, I feel, the most linked of all. And I liked that they didn't do that again. However, I do hope that they give us uh, a f- beefy 50-ish minute, uh, or 50 to 55-ish minute uh, season finale. Uh, to to make sure that there's a, a good amount of things that happen in that last little bit. What other observations do you want to make about this episode? I, I wanted to point out that um, in the little amount of Boba Fett we got in this episode, he did slip in a We Got Company, which feels good. And we got seismic charges back. Oh, dude, I know. And, and like, have we only ever seen those one other time just in yeah. Attack of the Clones? But the shot, the way that the the circle like just blew the two Tie Fighters apart. One of the great sound was, effects in Star Wars, that that thwong. And now a visual too. Yeah. And so it was. It, it, that's the kind of stuff that um, separated Star Wars. That, that has always separated Star Wars. It's it's those little things that that round out the 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 story and the universe and give it that extra cool and unique factor. Uh, and it just, it's the logical thing. It's not like it's like playing like, oh, we're just, you know, kind of playing to it. No, he's got two ships following him. There's no back guns on the slave one. That's the seismic charges. This is, that's what you're going to use. You're not just going to be like, oh no, let's not use them. Cause we don't want to be like, you know, fan service. No, it's a ship. Yeah. Use them. <laughs> that's, that's what its main weapon is kind of. So yeah, take and advantage for- of that. That's that's uh, fan service used well. What did you think of Valen Hess? Well, I want to get to him in just one second because there's not much to say about the Slave One, but I okay. do want to say this about the Slave One. Sure. The gyroscopic interior. 
Okay, what do you mean by that? Did you notice how when they took off, because the Slave One, um, the cockpit is not, the cockpit's kind of, like, Slave One flies and lands in a totally different position. Yes. And so the cockpit is kind of semi, like, in a weird positioning. You're kind of laying down when you're taking off, but not the rest of the ship. The main cargo bay is gyroscopic. And so when it takes off, it rotates as the ship shifts. Cool. And so they're just able to sit. It was so bloody cool to see it just rotating around them and to solve that like really logical canon question. I guess I took that for granted because I didn't really notice that happening as it was happening. But I have always kind of subconsciously wondered about the ergonomics of, of the just the way it kind of orients itself. And I've always loved Slave One and thought it was kind of odd, but I, I guess I, I wasn't looking for an explanation. I wasn't really either, but I didn't realize how much I loved the explanation. Hell yeah. Until I saw it. And I was just like, that's just so fucking cool. Yeah. I, was, I was just really excited with that. Yeah. But yeah, Valen Hess, man, uh, he was a new breed of creepy Imperial. He was, but he really captured the essence. Like it was... It, it was... We've seen Emmy that worthy. before. Oh yeah, like he he definitely is a Star Wars fan. Like he he knew what he had to do to be that guy, um, and he added a. We don't really get a lot of canonical backstory, at least in something kind of like mainstream live action where these guys talk about who they are. You can tell mm. you can tell that they're not good guys, and you can tell what they want to do right now, but you mm. rarely know what they did before and and what made them this way and what where they're like where their values lie. And like this guy was like, he deserved that bullet to the chest so fervently. Um, and, uh, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so did you find anything confusing about that scene? I'm talking about like the, like the history of the empire, I any mean, of it confusing, or did you just feel like it was reasonable discussion of background? Yeah. Confusing's not the right word. Uh, it won't surprise me if you tell me that there's stuff in there that is understood by other people already but like no it was kind of spoken about broadly enough that you understood going into this that uh mayfeld has an imperial background as like kind of a, a soldier and he establishes mm. that this was kind of a guy who he not didn't work with directly i guess but like um they have you know uh overlapping histories and so mm. no they they fed you enough information i didn't feel uh, um excluded Okay, cool. No, that's good. Um, I'll just, we'll get back to that in just, no, I've got enough. I've got enough backup uh, trivia that I can explain this one now. Um, so Operation Cinder, that's what um, Miggs op says. Let's to like when he says, like, what should we toast to? I'm like, not rot stuff like health or whatever. Uh, it was interesting because he was a Southern Imperial as well, which was kind of an interesting take. Yeah. And goes a little bit towards the, the that, um, that point that someone I uh, heard on the podcast mentioned how like, are they getting the, like the who's now at the top of the empire? Were they the frontliners from before? Cause they're weathered and they're not the same like British staunch, but there's still these creepy and like, like dead eyed people. And so it's a great it's point in that way. Yeah. But uh, Bill Burr mentions like the toast operation cinder. So operation cinder was uh, Palpatine's, uh, contingency. That's the start of uh, the his. Uh, that is uh, the order uh, that starts the first order. When he dies, Operation Cinder comes into effect. Wow, which okay. basically burns down the rest of the Empire 
and burns down as much of uh, its rain and um, uh, connect. Essentially, it, it wreaks havoc across the galaxy, uh, but then reconvenes the best of the best of the empire. And so it's a, it's a culling process to kind of like, okay, something went wrong. Uh, I am Palpatine. I see all. How did I die? You guys all failed me. The empire wasn't good enough. Go fix your shit, cull yourself, and then meet me on Exegol. <laughs> okay, all right. And so essentially it's, it's the beginning of the end of the empire and the start of the first order and operation cinder is the main plot line of the battlefront um battlefront 2 the the campaign that goes along with that video game oh okay. uh, and then there were some just logical dot connections that you can make with rise of skywalker as well so i thought that was a really cool one because there is a ton of history that goes along with that and uh you wouldn't surprise me if some of the people who did like mocap for that battlefront game found their way into some of the new shows that are coming oh, out. That'd be really cool. Do we have any idea how Mayfeld got out of there if there was such like mass extermination happening? They didn't really say, but he was a sharpshooter, so uh, a sniper, so he might have been able to, he might have been distant enough that like they said five, 10,000 people died. Uh, I think that's what they quoted it yeah, at. And so that's right, yeah. like, that could be like, uh, he, it could be a city. He could see the mushroom cloud sort of thing. Like that yeah, That's, that was my only kind of guess. He's also a hell of a shooter. My God. Yeah, and those <laughs> things are like that is a a crude weapon. That's, well, that's a that's a Tuscan's rifle. As as is so often the case, you've uh, already answered half of one of my trivia questions. So cycler rifle. Gonna give it to you. No, not quite. Um, a Jedi Knight question: What operation does Mayfeld suggest he and Valen toast, and where does he say he was designated? So you already said Operation Burn and Cinder and Burn and Con. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, Burning Calm is one I had to look up because it's a, apparently a planet. I assumed oh. it was a war event. Yeah, um, me too. But it's it, it's a planet. While we're on it, uh, my Jedi, my Padawan question for you is: uh, What is Mayfeld's inmate number? Uh, inmate three four six six seven. <laughs> Says it like eight times. <laughs> I know so many. That that droid was great though. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. I will. Uh, I'll ask. I, I'll use one of mine. Um, what does Din incorrectly say is his designation? transport and then transport what transport co-pilot yep yeah and, and what does that mean and why is that wrong uh it's just kind of puts a red flag on him yeah clearly designation means your tk number and right. so that was why he was confused um with yeah. that my my master question and it's got numbers so you may have written it down um i don't think so what were what were what did Bill Burr say his TK number and um, Din's TK number was? Uh, I I don't I don't know. I think Bill Burr's was like TK something one eleven. No, you're very very close. You're very 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 close. I don't know. Help me out. Just just know something. It's just TK one eleven. TK one eleven. Oh, I thought yeah, there was so more. You, digits. Got, you got Bill's. You got Bill Burr's right. Basically. Hey, I did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I have no idea what uh, what Din's was. Din's was five nine three. So he just knew those numbers from because they took the suits off, and so he just happened to remember the numbers. Either that, or his TK was TK one one one, and his commanding officer who died was TK five nine three, and just he was from, just like he just pulled random shit. 
uh, like TK four two one, for example, was the the guy who um, Han steals the the um, stormtrooper outfit of in A New Hope, and it's like yeah. points at the comm, like it's not working. So TK four two one works on the Death Star um, X number of years earlier, and so just TK five nine three. That's like a like a hundred and seventy digits later. So it's it just seems like they're kind of like whenever you signed up for the empire, like your a number or when you go to university or something. And interesting that like, it seems like so many uh, empire stormtroopers are TKs and then first order stormtroopers are, are FNs, or at least that's what Finn is. Yeah. I, th- I don't believe maybe it gets more that's complicated the case than that. across the board. I believe it's like probably by your ranking or um, maybe whether you serve in like the, like the Naval or like the arm, like the army sort of thing. Yeah. Um, because I, I, I think there is some variation beyond beyond TKs and FNs. Uh, I guess my 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 night question, the only one that I have left. Um, where was Miggs serving his prison sentence? Uh, when you say it, I'll I'll know it because I re- I remembered trying to make a mental note and I foolishly didn't write it down. I don't know what is it. Carthon Scrapfields. Okay. That was cool. It was really, it was, I, I guess they probably used the volume for that. Like really well designed, like all of this like TIE fighter uh, scraps all over the place. And um, when we arrived there, it didn't even occur to me that we were probably going directly to Bill Burr. But like similarly to the Ahsoka episode of this season, they're like, look, you know, this is coming. Like we're going to get right down to business. This is something I love about the Mandalorian is that they could so easily take a couple episodes to get just to Bill Burr. And they're like, hmm. no, we're going there right now. And yeah. they, they don't beat around the bush a lot in this show. And that's something they do really well. Yeah. And well, I mean, sometimes when they had to go to Trask, they had to go, you know, with Frog Lady and they crashed on that. If Frog, The Frog family kind of feels in a weird way like it was years ago. <laughs> it was only a couple weeks ago. I know. But and it was like it was it was such a significant part of the season, but ultimately didn't do much for us other than that it seemed to indicate some kind of like weird curiosity in in Grogu. Yeah, and it was about parenting and it was just character development stuff. I guess that's true, yeah. Any other thoughts uh, on episode uh, whatever it is, The Believer? Yeah, uh, just one other thing that we should definitely talk about and that would be uh, Din taking off the helmet and in particular Pedro's face. Uh, the mustache looking good. Ridiculously and, handsome for him to be covered up for so much of this season. Yeah, but my God, the acting performance, mm. the scared stiff in his own skin and just like being so uncomfortable, like, even when he was in the 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 juggernaut um, when they were on the ground uh, and he was just sitting so still because he was so uncomfortable, even in the wrong armor. Yeah. Um, and when he's looking at Vale and Hess and he's like, my designation is co-pilot transport co-pilot <laughs> she's oh, yeah. like he's, he's barely in it blowing and it yeah the the really 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 subtle head shake back and forth to migs when he's starting to get hot and heated in his conversation with valen yeah it's it's so subtle and you you can barely see it but uh it, and the the no re- response when migs shoots him just like the look of surprise in his face and like okay i'll shoot someone too <laughs> Right, uh, we're in this together. Well, you know, uh, it's it, so impressive. It shouldn't be surprising that an actor who can convey so much emotion with just his physicality when his face isn't even shown is that much better when he actually can show his face, which of course is what we're all used to doing. Like, I, I really, I, I don't want a Tobey Maguire super famous and this is Spider Man two situation necessarily.
really, but um, I do want him to take off that mask more in season three because I think we can have both. And, and well, I, that's that's all I want to say. I think we can. Yeah, have that both. was the, there was a stupid rumor of that going on uh, earlier in the year that Pedro threw a hissy fit midway through the season, and that they uh, he talks like not that much in the second half, and they do a lot of heavy heavy plot lines with Kara and grief. Because like, 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 and because he wants to have his helmet off more. Uh, and it's just like, that's the stupidest shit. No one, no one believed, like, I just, that's not true. No one reputable believed it, no. but it was everywhere. And uh, it was so stupid. And as you can just see, Pedro knew what he signed up for. Uh, and it, of course, eventually he's going to be showing his face more. Uh, like Boba's whipping his helmet off. Uh, Bo-Katan whips her helmet off. Once he realizes that he was born in a cult, then it'll be fine. I totally agree. Um, it was great. It, it, it was yet another phenomenal episode. The second half of the season has been some of my favorite Star Wars in years, so it's been a pleasure. Um, any other final predictions about about the finale of the season? I'm not really sure. Um, any, oh, let's do a death prediction. Do you think anyone's going to die? Well, that's a good question. Um, I don't. I don't think Boba Fett's going to die. I don't think they would do that so soon after bringing him back. I, don't... I would say the same, but I mean, we're going to start talking about new shows being announced. His wasn't, and it's so heavily rumored. Uh, is that because things are going on with him still in Mando at the moment? Are they going to kill him? And it's because it's a miniseries between um, the Sarlacc pit and Mando season two. Like, how are they going to go about it? Oh, I, oh. He's, the, I think, the highest chance, him or Fennec. Oh, I could see Fennec happening because I don't really have any emotional investment in her I, at all. I'm starting to really like Fennec, though. I don't have a problem with her. I just kind of forget she's there most of the time. And and I don't... We know how I feel about Kara. I'm not, like, anti-Kara, but, like, I do find it strange that she's heavily rumored to be getting her own show uh, with grief when, like, she's not... She seems like she might be a handful and, and she's not a good actor. Yeah, well, let's maybe... Maybe that... Maybe let's use that as the transition point. Let's do it. Let's use that. Uh, Igrecon, as it's been referred to as uh, by a couple podcasters in the Force Center broadcast, which is one of my favorite Star Wars podcasts, uh, because over the years, uh, these phone calls, these investor calls have been just Bob Iger letting shit leak. Yeah. He just tells and it's done in like it's not done in this ridiculous presentation like this year was done. It has just been great headlines from an investor call year after year. And because there was no celebration uh no comic-con none of those things where star wars was able to do announcements this year and they just like kept their head down and kept working uh on things there were so many things that they had in the works and they could announce that they made it this big presentation and show and so i watched uh, i watched it along on youtube and so kathleen kennedy gave this big presentation uh about all the new projects that are in the works and uh we'll start with television because we were just on television uh, Mando season three will be coming Christmas of 2021. Christmas so day. That's yeah, that's great. I am. Uh, that is a phenomenal Christmas present. Thank you so much, Disney. Uh, it is. I am so excited for that. Uh, it's a little bit of an extra wait, uh, but we will be getting. Not much. Uh, yeah, I mean, we will be getting Bad Batch next year as well, and so I think those are going to be just the two that we get next year. But we knew that those were going to be the ones. So what is Bad Batch? Be very clear, uh, very quick. Yeah, exactly. So uh, Bad Batch, uh, it's likely coming spring 2021. Uh, this is the animated sequel to The Clone Wars. Uh, and it focuses on uh, genetically altered clones 
who have a particular set of skills uh, and make 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 things a nightmare for people like you. Uh, but it, it, <laughs> it's there's like a like a Rambo kind of leader, and then they've got like their tech guy, and they've got their strong guy, and then uh, a particular one of the clones who was very prominent throw Clone Wars. Uh, he's one of the first ones to discover like he's got an inhibitor chip in his head. And so he becomes like kind of like genetically enhanced and he joins them up. And so it, it's very likely that this show will be a, a sequel to clone wars with a couple new main cast members, but will continue on a lot of other arcs. Mm -hmm. So captain Rex will likely be returning in some capacity in this show. Uh, it will likely be a lot about the clones and how they're dealing with this transition. They showed in the, in the trailer, how Palpatine was kind of talking about uh, the safe and secure society uh, and that real shift over and how they have to remove their like colored and like hand painted clone trooper armor and switch for like their boring white Imperial buckets uh, and the bad batch. We don't think are going to stay with the empire, but they might uh, from what I can kind of gather, they may do like some missions for the empire, like bounty hunters do and then do some other sort of mercenary missions. And so it's just the, the changing galaxy right after Order 66. Uh, Fennec Shand was shown in the trailer. And so we're going to see a younger version of her, which is really cool. Yeah, that's really uh, exciting. Because she's a bounty hunter. And I didn't realize this, but did it from looking. Uh, do you know who Ming-Na Wen is? This, this is the actor who plays uh, Fennec? Fennec, yeah. No. Uh, apparently, she is a very talented voice actress as well. And so that made sense as to why they were going to cast her for this. Okay. She's fucking Mulan. No way. Yeah. <laughs> she voiced Mulan in Mulan and Mulan 2. And is in, like, she was in, I knew she was in, like, um, I think, uh, like, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I think that's where she's got a lot of her uh, okay. local or, or more recent uh, fandom from. But. Yeah, she's an insanely accomplished voice actress. So that's a great fit. And she's 57. She looks incredible. 57? No way. I know. That's astonishing. And uh, I wow. I double check that. That seems that seems That insane. seems like it can't be right. But like long history of playing some real badasses too. Like oh, of absolutely. course including Mulan as well. Yeah, she's 57. 57. God bless you. That's yeah, wild. She good. Yes, she does. I suddenly like her a lot more. Not that I didn't yeah. like her before. I just kind of forgot that she was around most of the time. Yeah, she was. Just, she was a, such a badass in the last episode, uh, the one where Boba returned. Um, yeah, uh, that I've. It, it, I was really happy that she was back for that one. Uh, but yeah, the Bad Batch get me excited, uh, and I think there's a really good uh, chance because we're seeing Fennec in here. This leads me to believe that we're going to see this story arc that wasn't included in the season, the final season of Clone Wars that a lot of people anticipated would be because it was the one of the semi-rendered ones that they had kind of started to finish for that final season yep. uh, many years ago before it got canceled. And it's the arc where Boba Fett finally uh, takes on his father's armor. Oh, okay. Uh, and so he takes on his father's armor and he's being kind of uh, mentored by Cad Bane, who is in that era the, the number one bounty hunter in the galaxy. And yeah. he is so badass. He is a phenomenally cool character. Top 20 character in Star Wars. Very, very cool. Well, as long as we're uh, filling out the Boba Fett storyline here in live action, yeah, I want to see that, of course. Absolutely. And so the the end of that arc is they shoot each other. Ooh. And they shoot each other at the same time, but oh, Boba's yeah. dent. He's got a dent. Yeah, that's because 
my guess is CAD was aiming for the visor, was aiming for right here. Right. Because there's no Beskar there, but got him just off, just enough. Now, it's funny you and say so. that because I was actually like eyeing up that little ding in the helmet. Maybe it stands out more because everything else is so freshly painted. Yeah, it's still, you, you couldn't buff it out. You could pour as much paint in there as you would want, but it's just going to kind of crater in a little bit. Right. More okay. TV. All Let's right. Let's go to the next one. Another yep. one that we know about, um, but with some incredible confirmation on some stuff that we thought uh, and a confirmation on the title. I thought this was going to be one of the only ones where I actually, and mm -hmm. I, I still think it was one of the only ones that should have gone with a one word title of Kenobi, but Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, and it will be uh, uh, coming out in 2022. I'm not convinced that that title is going to stick. It could change. Uh, I think Kenobi makes more sense because he's both Obi-Wan and Ben, but always Kenobi. And That's so right. it, it makes more sense in that regard. But Obi-Wan Kenobi, and the great news is that Hayden Christensen's back. That's probably uh, that's probably the, the flashiest news of, of Investor's Day. It is in the sense that it's the most connected to Star Wars as we know it uh, and the Star Wars that most people know. And it's such a direct connection. I mean, it's Darth Vader's Anakin Skywalker. It's Obi-Wan Kenobi. These are two of the most important characters in all of Star Wars. And it's going to be this event uh, series, four to six episodes, the rematch of the century. I mean, I'm just so excited for Hayden because I think he deserves this. Um, he I, does. And I think that there are, you and I have talked a little bit, as we are often want to do, for better or worse, about about some of the people who aren't having this. They're, you know, they're kind of just like bringing up old memories about how his performance was was somewhat wanting in the in the prequel trilogy. Uh, very unfairly not considering that he wasn't given a whole lot to work with. Um, mm -hmm. Or, or just the fact that he's like an older, more mature person now. Like, there's no reason to think that with better guidance, this won't be a, a, like a, a by leagues better performance. But I also think just to describe his work that way in hypotheticals is kind of condescending because he's the professional and I'm not. Like, I'm I'm excited to see him back with a person who I know um, he enjoys working with and I know enjoys working with him and I know has done like great theater with before. Like these two guys together create some phenomenal Star Wars. Like, uh, I, I, great so, chemistry. So I think, so I think he deserves this. I think ultimately what I'm, what I'm getting to is that I think for even those who have their hesitations, he's going to prove to them that, that he can, you know what yeah, I mean? I, and I think people are going to be happy about it. I also think that they probably had a decision to make a couple years ago. Do we put Hayden in Rise of Skywalker or do we get him back a couple years later with you and McGregor? And they decided that this is the better route. And I'm now I'm glad. Uh, I, I don't, I don't necessarily think that I don't think it was, uh, well, actually I'm going to confidently say it wasn't that because uh, Ryan Johnson, uh, Oh, maybe this, it wasn't, uh, do you say Ryan Johnson was trending today or recently? Today. All, all, okay, almost then, like every star Wars movie was trending today on Twitter for some reason. Ryan Johnson was trending a week ago because uh, someone asked him, um, did you ever consider using Hayden Christensen? Yeah. And he initially considered using Hayden Christensen for the log scene. Uh, and then the like the conversation with Luke. But the fact that Luke had a stronger relationship with turning Darth Vader than his relationship with Anakin's Hayden Christensen. And Yoda was more directly his teacher. And this was still a moment about Luke needing that one final lesson and needed that teaching moment. So that's why he went with Yoda. And I mean, that's, that, that is my favorite moment of, of the sequels. I'd say that's my favorite moment that has been created by Disney star Wars. Yeah. Um, I, I 
endure that moment. Uh, and so I was glad it wasn't done. And, and his voice was used in Rise of Skywalker. So I think that there was, I think there was full liberty you to use it there. Um, but I think that if you're going to have like a real opportunity to flesh out the return of the character, I totally agree that this is where you do it. This is 100% where you do it. I was so thrilled to hear when they threw out that script from Obi-Wan a couple years ago. Uh, other, other people were really mad. I was rejoicing because it meant one, it wasn't good enough and they were actually starting over. Yep. And then two, when it came out that it was a loose adaptation of the book meant that it had just made up stakes that really just required this to be like, just makes it an unnecessary story. Makes it whereas small. This, yeah, whereas this really expands things out. It answers a lot of those questions. Obi-Wan once thought as you did. Yep. He's more machine now than man. Yep. And that can really broaden things out a lot more. Uh, how you're going to use Hayden, whether you're going to do it in like the back to tanks, whether you do it in his like meditation chamber. Someone interestingly mentioned this in a podcast this week, and I never would have thought of this. You could Iron Man suit him. Okay. Like the in-cam suit. Oh, I see. Yeah. Where they actually show Tony's face like from the inside of the helmet. Yeah. That'd be cool. Imagine. Yeah, that'd be gruesome. That's an up close on on gnarly Vader but face. That would be so damn cool. Yeah. Uh, there is going to be a fight. Um, Obi-Wan will be leaving Tatooine. Yep. Uh, there is a water planet in the series um, that was shown to the investors who fork over a lot of cash uh there was a couple little snippets uh patty jenkins is for example which we'll get to in a second uh that was one that was only shown to the higher-ups and then she tweeted it to everybody but like there was a small little ewan mcgregor um very short sizzle reel shown to investors that we've only heard there was a water planet in it uh and then ewan mentioned that the most beautiful thing of all is that it's brought me back together uh to work again with hayden that's awesome um, and then hayden also mentioned uh it was such an incredible journey playing anakin skywalker of course anakin and obi-wan were on the greatest of terms when we last saw them it'll be interesting <laughs> to see what an amazing director like deborah chow has in store for all of us i'm excited to work with you again it feels good to be back and so it's exciting that he's got this opportunity uh, I think he's going to nail it. And I think this is going to be the one that allows people to understand the incredible level of nuance that is in his performance in the prequels. Is everything in his pre in his prequel performance great? No. Is he delivering some incredibly hard to deliver lines? Absolutely. To be honest, he looks great next to Natalie Portman because she delivers them way worse. Agreed. But there's a lot of nuance that is overlooked because of some of the bad writing uh, or some of the choices that are a little bit odd or some of the stuff that seems a little over whiny, forgetting the fact that he's a virgin teenager who joined the monk squad because he's the most powerful man in the world. And he's Luke's dad. And he's Luke's dad, who is also a whiner. Yeah. But uh, all these things uh, even considered, Hayden Christensen getting the opportunity to play Darth Vader a little bit more and having them really paralleled back and forth, probably a lot of flashbacks. It will allow people to see that uh, 
kind of the stoic presence and the the stilted speaking and that mid-Atlantic accent that Vader and Anakin both share. And so I think it will maybe help people appreciate that performance a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, you, uh, you so mentioned... I, I agree with you. You mentioned Natalie Portman. I mean, like, we nobody says Natalie Portman's not a good actor based on her Star Wars performance, which is, of course, also lacking. And it's because she was afforded more opportunities to show her range under better tutelage. She's, a, you know, a, mm-hmm. an Academy Award winner. She's got a couple nominations. She was a young actress. She was like a child star. And she's been in many, many things. Hayden Christensen has been in very few things. He like played a, a guy who runs a pizza shop in an Emma Roberts rom-com a couple years ago, which looked horrendous. But like, this is a guy whose career died because there was too much stink on what he represented, which wasn't necessarily his fault. And so uh, I, I think that his legacy deserves this. I think that Star Wars fans deserve this. It's also, you know, just like so sick to not to just to pair up Ewan and uh, and Hayden again, but to pair up old Ben Kenobi and Darth Vader again. It's probably our last Darth Vader for a very long time. Probably for sure our last James Earl Jones Darth Vader. And that's momentous. I mean, we don't know for sure it's James Earl Jones, but we assume. I guess, but he's still around. They'll They'll get him while they can. Yeah. And because so few people have seen Rebels compared to what we'll be seeing this show, you can also, I mean, it would be a little, it'd be a little cheap because it would be so similar, but you can do something where Vader's mask gets destroyed mid, like you can, you can have it. So his mask gets a little destroyed. So they're a little face to face again, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. And so like, that's what happens in Rebels. Ahsoka cuts like the side off his mask and and then you hear they get um whoever does vader's voice in rebels uh, and matt lanter who does anakin's voice in the clone wars and they layer their voices together nice and so you can you can hear both of them because part of his mouth is not going through the vocalizer that's so smart yeah and so so just like things like that where you can really meld the two characters and view them as one not to backtrack Uh, there aren't many opportunities for that speaking of vocalizers wasn't it interesting to hear din's voice uh in longer sentences without his like modulation because he's wearing the helmet this week like it's it's exactly the same voice it's just as low but it doesn't have that kind of like robotic vibrato in it it was just interesting yeah and he still doesn't say much though boy no very little yeah um, yeah. Okay, uh, next, so that's Obi-Wan Kenobi. That and- is Obi-Wan Kenobi. The next one, also coming out in 2022, uh, and just started uh, to film, uh, also with a sizzle reel that we did get to see, uh, would be the Cassian show, which was titled Andor. Yep, I saw that sizzle reel, by the way. The the worst of all the titles. Uh, <laughs> a really dumb title. Uh, nobody knows him as Andor. He's Cassian. Uh, Cassian Andor. It's not like like even Fett, but like yeah, like or like or so like anyone Skywalker, anyone. But Andor, no, Andor he's is a cool is, character, but his last name is not iconic no, at not. all. No, and it's also not even Star Warsy enough. Like it's 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 five letters. It's not long enough to be. I. It, it's a bad title, but the show looks great. It's also the same first syllable as Mandalorian. It's just kind oh, of, yeah. it's just kind of like a lot of the same. Um, mm. But yes, he, I, I saw that reel that you're talking about, and it's mostly just Diego Luna kind of out of character talking about like his enthusiasm. What a sweetheart. Yeah. Like he, he is a total sweetheart. Adores yeah. Star Wars. Yeah, I'm so psyched about it. Uh, and I mean, there's not really too much to glean from it, but we're basically 
uh, revitalizing the Rogue One universe. And mm -hmm. so here for that. Yeah, and we, we've talked about this a lot, so we don't need to get too, we don't need to repeat a bunch of stuff we said before. Um, but 12 episodes, that's new. We didn't hear that before. That's a lot. Uh, we don't know. But the thing is, I think we don't know, but I think it could just be 12 episodes. Yep. And so I'm, I think that's great. If you feel like it's more important to tell it in one season and that's the appropriate number of episodes it takes, I think that's great. We're going to maybe have a four episode show in Obi-Wan, eight for Mando, 12 for Cat for Andor. That, that totally works for me. Mm -hmm. uh, and one thing I also loved 200 plus named named characters how is that Favreau possible Filoni, you want to maybe take a couple notes named characters mithral <laughs> and the client and the child the child yeah well the mandalorian for that matter the mandalorian that's true for a lot of it um, uh yeah well how is that possible though ross 200 named characters uh, specifically because that's what you do in star wars uh, okay. every character in the entire original trilogy, every background character had a name. It, I don't, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that all these characters have existed before, although a lot of them will have, and a lot of them will have been background characters in Rogue One, for example. Right. But if you go, and a lot of those people, uh, like the actor would have been like, oh, do I have a name? Uh, your name is blank, or you can make up your name. Or if like, for example, like Dave Filoni, we get to make up his name. Mark Hamill's son, uh, Nathan, uh, made up uh, his name in yeah. a couple times he's been in Star Wars. And so like little things like that. And so these characters build their Wikipedias. And that's why Star Wars has thousands and thousands and thousands of named characters. And that's what's great. It shows a true depth of everyone in the room so that you can understand how everyone yeah. in the room is actually going to react to something. And you're not just okay, I have my two action figures and I'm going to play with these two action figures and then everybody's going to react the way I want them to to my two action figures. No, you're dumping a 200 action figures. Yeah. You may like these two the most, but you know how the rest of them react and you know how, like if you have your little, your Cassian action figure walk past your Ponda Baba, uh, Dr. Evazan's going to be there and they're going to get in a fist fight with you. So like, <laughs> I, I really love that and it's, a, it's just an attention thing, uh, a specific focus on detail. Uh, and the concept art looked beautiful. So I'm just very excited about this spy show. Do we know who's in charge of that show? Uh, Tony Gilroy. Okay. And so he was, he took over um, the the final good chunk of Rogue One and is responsible for it coming out good. Because that was a disaster behind the scenes, but a darling as soon as it came out. Rare, rare example of a movie that really gets saved in the, in the, in the. And the developmental he's interestingly a not like not a Star Wars fan, and so he's one of those ones that it's 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 weird. Whereas Gareth Edwards' love for Star Wars created all the things that are wonderful there. But Tony Gilroy's intelligence and capability as a uh, showrunner and creator and writer uh, allowed it to be just so damn good. And Gareth Edwards' ability to play ball uh, allowed him to not get fired <laughs> and to still get said credit. <laughs> What's next? Uh, the next one will be one that we've also talked about uh, a little bit, uh, but we didn't have a title, and that would be Leslie Headland's show. Uh, and the new title for this was The Acolyte. And so yeah. this is really exciting. One of the ones I'm, I'm definitely most excited about, uh, I'd say not as much as one more of these or not as much as Obi-Wan, um, but the sense that this one has the potential to be long-running. It really gets me excited. Uh, the End of the High Republic 
which is the new era that's being defined in uh, comics, novels, uh, and, and other canon medium. And so we're going back 200 years. So we don't know, maybe this will be back 100 years, maybe this will be back 150 years. Like we don't know how long the High Republic era is. It's just been described as 200 years prior to the Phantom Menace. Mm. And so if this is the end of the High Republic, when is that? Uh, they released some early panels uh, of uh, comic for the High Republic where Yoda is walking with his uh, co-grandmaster. It's, it's some, uh, I forget even the species, a, a Tarnak or something. Uh, they're just these really ugly species. But like Yoda's got a, he's, he's, got, a, he's got his co-Jedi master and the two of them, the like grandmaster, and, and they run the council together. And Yoda's got a cane, but his, his robes are a little lighter. His hair's looking a little better. Just his wrinkles are not quite as defined. He's looking good. Uh, and so it, it's interesting the way this era is going to be defined especially because the Sith are considered extinct. But the show The Acolyte is about dark side force users and okay. the mysteries in the shadows, the mysteries of the Sith, Colin. Ah. Uh, and it's going to be, it's a mystery thriller uh, where shadowy secrets and emerging powers, dark side mystery. Uh, it's supposed to be focused on female characters. And so, with all of that said, everything to me points to the Night Sisters, hmm. uh, the Night Sisters of Dathomir. So Darth Maul is a Knight brother of Dathomir. So he's a Zabrak. That's his technical species. Uh, and the Zabraks are the male, uh, and some Zabrak males born on Dathomir um, are are Knight brothers, and they're inducted into this uh, kind of like a magical clan. Uh, they're a tribe of. Uh, the, the, the brothers and the sisters, where the sisters are significantly more dominant. And Mother Talzin, who is the head witch of the Night Sisters, uh, they use dark side magic, and they're much more in tune with death than they are with um, like raping the galaxy and uh, power and corruption. They're more in tune with the death side of the dark side. And so they use lots of magic and spells. Uh, like Darth Sidious, he wiped them out with his droid army during the Clone Wars right. because... He said, okay, well, I can send in my clones because, sorry, I can send in my droids. I get Grievous to do that because Grievous and these robots will be able to take these like magical Night Sisters because they won't have the ability to kind of leverage the life force situations. Anyway, Palpatine had to wipe them out because he was afraid of them. But it's also likely that a lot of Palpatine's understanding uh, of how to manipulate uh, like dark side magic uh, and the way and cloning sort of those some of those things that Dominic Monahan kind of uh, alluded to in the Rise of Skywalker. So it wouldn't be surprising is if this could focus on the Night Sisters and kind of a different perspective on the Force itself uh, and the dark side and potentially um, that being abused and the Sith wanting to kind of understand that and learn more from it. And maybe it's about pa Plagueis's master or the Sith at that time and the early unlocking of immortality or mm. things along those lines. It's really, this is just kind of speculation, but uh, in a time when Sith are not supposed to be around the acolyte, um, it's, it, it sounds really exciting and mystery thriller. So I can't wait. Yeah, I mean, you went down a lot of roads right there that I'm, I know, I'm, not, sorry. I'm not super familiar with. But that, I mean, it sounds really good. It sounds really dark. And it'd be interesting if we focus a little bit more on on the evil. Because, frankly, we haven't had a lot of that. And I guess it'll be pretty thematic in in 
Obi-Wan Kenobi, although probably that'll be about their personal relationship, not so much about the 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 history of the evil that runs within Anakin. We've seen that already. And so you're right. We kind of need something to give us a little bit more background on what makes some of these other people tick. And so maybe this is an opportunity for that exposure. Yeah, when you look at like Cassian, like this is the antithesis of something like that. This is a focus yep. on the force and like the life force and kind of manipulating and the the long-term massive scope of the galaxy and eternity, whereas... Uh, Andor is going to be about uh, a, a war and like trying to like unlock just like getting information in, in that regard and two clean sides. And so I, I think they're really trying to make it as broad as possible. And so if they go really fantastical, uh, like try and tap into like some of like the Witcher audience, that would be kind of where I'm thinking that they're going to like a lot of the Game of Thrones type of audience with like witches and magic. Um it just seems logical yeah. that if they were to try to kind of really hit on all of the things that are that could be Star Wars, that's one that they seem to be lacking a little in. And this one is the only one that could maybe be that. So very excited as to what it could be, uh, but no ETA. On to the next thing. Uh, the uh, let's, uh, the next one is one that we have absolutely zero idea on when it's going to be coming out. My guess is it's going to be the last one uh, of all of the things announced to come out, uh, and that would be Lando. Uh, and that would be unannounced as to who would be Lando as well, but this is an event or mini series, uh, and this could be like as late as like 2025 or 2026. I think I think 2025 is was when it was like from now till then sort of um but there was no confirmation as who on who would be in it so my guess is the contracts just weren't done yeah. or maybe they're going to try and get both of them uh, a lot of people have been uh speculating and uh we've speculated about this before how good it would be to do the uh the young indiana jones model where you have the the older version telling stories of the the heyday and so you just you get the two of them and you can have one have, have Billy D narrate well, and have 10 minutes of screen time and Donald Glover be a badass. And in character in step with the character of Lando, that's a comedy because he's inflating the truth and someone's calling him on his bullshit and like it, Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's a really great way. Yeah, especially yeah. if like who's he telling the story to? Yeah, and someone's uh, like, "Well, how did it really happen?" And then he goes back and Donald Glover performs the same story totally differently and like Oh, that could be really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, Dear White People. They're created from that, Justin Simeon. Oh, cool. Uh, and so uh, that's extremely critically acclaimed. And uh, I, I think that's really encouraging. I really hope it posts solo. Uh, no L3. Uh, just give me some, yeah. some Lando being a smooth criminal in the, in the galaxy far, far away. I'm, maybe maybe both. Maybe they're going to bounce around like his whole young life. It's very, very possible yeah. that, they, that they do that. But this is a miniseries. And so... Uh, I'll be intrigued as to what they may be focused on. What's interesting uh, about that is that... Could do stuff with Lobot, maybe, or him uh, taking over Cloud City, becoming the Baron Administrator. Oh, I like that, yeah. What's interesting about Lando is that this is just, this is certainly not a story that needs to be told. Um, nope. And, and yet it's welcome as long as it's, you know, tight and fun. It needs to be because fun. We, because we don't have the same... We have mystery about Lando, but we don't have mystery about specific things about Lando. Right. Whereas we had mystery about specific things about Han that we don't have anymore. Right. It's just, it was like, 
Okay, everything you ever wanted to know about those things that have ever been mentioned about Han Solo. Puke. Here's the list of all of them. You got his DL44 blaster from... It's just, it's such a check the box. And we've gone over that a million times as well. But I don't feel like this falls in that category. And that time period is rich with so many other characters. You could do some interesting crossovers, do a Boba Fett sort of thing. You could bring in Chewbacca. You could bring in Kira... Maul, so many things you could do. Yes. Uh, Maul would be a really interesting take to see uh, maybe how, or maybe you do it a little bit before and you realize how Kira knows Lando because mm-hmm. uh, she knew him beforehand. And so maybe he's done some stuff for Maul that didn't go so great before. Uh, and he had to, you know, pay his piper somehow. Right, right. I like that. Okay. There's more, uh, there's more to tell. There is more to tell. Uh, Star Wars Visions, which is 10 anime original shorts. Uh, so that's yeah, kind of cool for this. I'll be interested to see uh, what, like, when these stories are, what these stories are. Is it uh, consistent with the rest of Star Wars in, like, that's how the Force works? Uh, and if that's the case, then I'll be intrigued to kind of see just how these these different interpretations are done and if they can unlock some some early ideas for some really cool new stories that would be that'd be interesting i think these are the kind of uh it's almost like it's a pitch cafe uh as a series like which one of these is a, is a cool new concept we can explore a little further and yeah. do you like the art <laughs> that that is what i'm really curious to see is like what will it look like visually star wars anime and i think that there's 10 different like i'm not if i'm not mistaken not only 10 different stories, but styles too. Yeah. And so it's it's not like a level consistency with the artwork as well, but just different stories. I think it's it's very like a, a very specific, a, a targeted approach to how they did everything for each of the stories. That's that's interesting. Yeah. The next two shows, the last two TV shows would be the remainder of the FNF-verse, the Favreau and Filoni-verse. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are getting two more shows that are... Uh, written and show run to a degree by Favreau and Filoni uh, and take place at the same time as the Mandalorian. Uh, And this is the one we should have transitioned with as it was the one that we used as our transition point. Um, The shows are Ahsoka and Rangers of the New Republic. Right. And we know what Ahsoka in theory could be, but we have no idea what this Rangers of the New Republic could be other than uh, we've spent some time with a couple marshals this season, right? Uh, and a couple uh, New Republic cops. So, what are your thoughts on uh, the FNF verse, the Floney and Favreau, Ahsoka, and this Rangers of the New Republic? Like, how do you think uh, all this is going to work together? Um, and who do you want to see in it that we have seen or haven't seen? I, you know, I think that they've done a lot of work in this second season of The Mandalorian to establish that they're going to. Ex- expand on this particular point in the chronology and I think that's fine um, because I am a big Ahsoka fan though I haven't been one for long I'm a big fan um, mm. and I I can't wait to see more of that I think that's like the obvious juicy curiosity um, as much as I've kind of like ragged on Cara Dune for like the basic reasons that other people have been doing so lately uh, I really enjoyed that scene where she's talking with Kim's convenience fella and we learn that she was from Alderaan. Like, I think that's, I, I, that's an interesting backstory. I want to learn more about Alderaan. Granted, I don't know if we will exactly in this show, but, uh, if we can get more of that through her story, I guess I'm open to it. I certainly want to see more Carl Weathers as Grief Karga. That guy's, uh, a boss. 
and for that matter, those um, uh, returning um, X-Wing, uh, well, I guess not Dave Filoni as much as he can help it, but like his- He uh, hates it. His his partner there is is clearly an interesting guy and- Holly is, he loves it. Or, and I love him. Carson, is that the character's name? Carson Teva. Carson Teva, yeah. So I like, and and-, and for sure, other characters too. Um, Timothy Oliphant. I, th- I think that like there's got to be a reason why they they went to such efforts to bring him into this universe. I don't know now that we're going to see him again in in season two of Mandalorian unless he comes in in the finale. It just seems like he's out of place at this point. Um, no, I don't think we will. But if if we're doing like uh, back to the roots of like a Western cop show, a sheriff show, um, yeah, he's totally got a place there. Well, it's, it's the marshals of the New Republic. And so I foresee it being like Carson Teva going around and deputizing people and them working together and having informants and doing rag tape, ragtag group work and like their own, like, like things like Kara had to go and raid those tunnels under Navarro where the, the, uh, whatchamacallit, the Aqualesh were uh, like robbing the old Mandalorian uh, colony underground and she was like beating them up and where she met that like weird little rat ferret thing right yeah and so like she was just doing like a little side mission like that or how the the two cops approached din in space uh or everything that uh cobb banth is doing and it just it could be really interesting to kind of see someone like like a cop like carson teva a guy who's just on like a low rung is starting to realize what's going on with this first order and ah, sh- shit, like, I'm going to do as much as I can. I'm going to, like, if they're good people, I'm going to try and uh, sign power, but, like, the superiors don't get it. I don't have the resources I need. And, like, it's almost like maybe a guy like Carson is one of the early, early kind of foot soldiers and pioneers of the resistance. Like, is he going to be the kind of guy that Leia Organa is going to go to in a decade and be like, hey, um, I, I I know what you've been doing. I, I know you've had to like put in these, like, I mean, obviously we're not going to see like a, like a Leia moment, but like, is, is that how the the galaxy kind of reorganization, the start of the first order, is that how it's going to work? I mean, it makes more sense to focus that kind of galaxy um, state on a show that's more expansive than just the Mandalorian. The Mandalorian should keep, Maybe Boba Fett, definitely Bo-Katan. Uh, like these characters should stay in the Mandalorian. Grief, I would like to stay in the Mandalorian. I don't know if he necessarily, he's not been rumored to be uh, in Rangers uh, or even in the, the Cara Dune spinoff. And the Cara Dune spinoff, I've heard mixed uh, reports as to that, whether uh, this was that and that she'll be in it, that this was that and that she's going to be in it, but at a significantly reduced role now. Okay. Or that this was not that and that she was never going to have her own show or this was not that and that she was going to have her show and now that's also in flux as to they're not sure anymore. So yeah. I've heard every rumor under the sun as to like what the involvement is there, but it makes almost too much sense. We've had these marshals uh, and the seeds have been planted kind of throughout the entire season for, okay, who doesn't fit within Din and Grogu's story? And how do they insulate the rest of the galaxy that will kind of culminate in something more later on? Because uh, Rangers of the Republic 
Ahsoka and the Mandalorian will come together at some point in the near future and have some form of uh, entertainment event, whether that's a movie, a crossover series that allows them, like maybe it's its own series that's a little crossover that's a mini series, or it's like an episode in each of the series that has the characters in it. There's going to be some form of big event uh, because they're in the same time period. So it will be interesting to see how they utilize the things they've set up in Mando. It's interesting that so, so much of the external characters, the additional characters in The Mandalorian, uh, especially the allies, are some version of peacekeepers. Um, and, and of course, all the enemies are not that they're chaos agents or whatever, but like most of them are institutionalized, which is, is done deliberately to, uh, better illustrate the contrast of, of just how lonely the Mandalorian lives his life to be. And ultimately he isn't as, you know, he doesn't, he, he's, he's not the lone ranger that he, he sought out no. to be for very long, but like, uh, all these other people are there like supporting, a cause or protecting a cause or protecting a people. And uh, yeah. we might as well learn more about that. So I'm excited. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And a couple things to like be more excited about as well. Oh, and this, I'm going to mention this as well. And we'll tie back to Obi-Wan too. Um, so one character I want to see in this, in the Ahsoka show would be Rex. So yep. let's get tomorrow playing Boba Rex. And he is, so heavily rumored, like the same way that Hayden was rumored a couple months back to be Darth Vader in this Obi-Wan show. It's that level, if not more, uh, that um, Tamora Morrison will be playing the probably highest screen time villain in Obi-Wan Kenobi as Commander Cody. That's so, great. That's cool. Yeah, he will be the like elite top shadow trooper on Vader's unit that he will call in to hunt Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, and so whether they have a lead or who knows how they go about it, but um, the way that the accelerated aging works, the fact that this is done 25 or 20 or so years before the Mandalorian works perfectly because yep. that is exactly the age multiplier ratio that he should be at this point. So he should be in his forties at this point early point because of how quickly he's aged. Uh, and so that will work really well. Um, but that'll be a really, uh, really cool use of Tamora Morrison, having him potentially play three different characters in live action at once. Busy and guy. Cl clear distinctions, black hair, white beard, and bald, bald everything, uh, and scarred galore uh, for you, Boba Fett. You had uh, helped me remember who Cody was by by simply saying that he's the clone trooper who receives Order 66 from Palpatine. So he's yes, kind of and, the... And, and fires on Obi-Wan. He's the first clone trooper to turn, basically. Yeah, and uh, he's actually the only one who Tomorrow Morrison is credited as in Revenge of the Sith uh, because I believe he just voice does everyone else and the only other times his face is shown in the movie I think are the pilots hmm. and they are... CG. Yeah. <laughs> they, because they like, they have most of his face. So they just CG his mouth. Um, I think the only th shooting he actually did was as Cody in Revenge of the Sith. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's kind of interesting because in an interview, he, he mentioned his Cody role. And so I was like, wait a minute. 
he mentioned the Cody role. He just remembers one of his clones, but I went back and checked and I was like, I, I think he actually maybe only played Cody. So that makes a little bit more sense. This, this guy probably can't believe it. I eh? like, he took the, like a job, which by the way, was a cool job, but probably didn't seem like it had the legs to keep running for as long as it did. Like way back in 2001 or whenever he was cast in attack of the clones. Like it, it, th- this job has legs. It does. Uh, I think you mentioned uh, on on the Show Show podcast that he did the voice in the Clone Wars. He didn't do the voice in the Clone Wars, but he has done the voice in a lot of the video games. Okay. Uh, and and in a couple other mediums around that time period as well. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. To be able to come back at, at, at this stage and get such a renaissance of the character is phenomenal. And notably, he's gone back and dubbed over Boba Fett's lines in Empire Strikes Back. Yes, he, he has indeed. And uh, that's the way it should be. Yes. Uh, it, it sounds a little weird when you go back and watch the clip from before. It's like, oh, that's, yeah, that, <laughs> that's definitely not going to be consistent. Right. Uh, one other thing to mention on the Ahsoka, uh, and that would be something that's not getting a whole, or two things uh, would be that the logo for Ahsoka pretty much has the world between worlds in the background. Mm. And Ahsoka is saved through the world between worlds, but we don't really know how she gets out of the world between worlds. So I'll be interested in seeing because hers is listed as a limited series. If potentially it starts before the Mandalorian. Interesting. Like maybe, maybe it'll be one that is not done in such a tight time period, but maybe takes place. Whereas like season one takes place over a year or, uh, and season like two takes place over like, another year and then it catches up with the timeline of mandalorian by like season three years i I don't know how it could work but that's an an interesting angle or it's going to have something to do with how like the experience she had in there and how she's going to try to rescue ezra of some way shape or form and thrawn will enter the picture and that's the other thing because if they're doing three shows of this time period, they've introduced the character in one. However, it's the least logical one for him to be in. And Moff Gideon is the main antagonist. What are they going to be doing? We have a Thanos situation on our hands, I believe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so Thrawn is likely the main bad of all three shows and will be the main bad of the event series. And ultimately, they will each have their own primary antagonist with the overall antagonist for this time period being thrown. Oh, you're getting and that was the time period that originally when the novels were written, Thrawn's Thrawn was the emerging leader post Palpatine's fall. He was reintroduced in Canon as coming into the empire before uh, a new hope. And he disappears before a new hope, mm. but he somehow returns and it, by the sounds of things, is doing exactly what he was going to do in Legends, and he's going to, in some for some reason, whether it's it's likely for the benefit of his people, the Chiss, but he wants those Imperial resources, and he wants the machine to start ticking again because chaos is the one is the last thing he wants. Then, if the New Republic doesn't have their shit together, and the Empire had their shit together a little bit more, he's going to want the Empire to come back. Right. So that's that could make a very he, he's good enough, and if we get our Lars Mickelson, uh, boy, man, that'll be checking off some uh, some dreams on my Star Wars wish list. You got me excited. I really hope this event is like a big theatrical movie. I I, I was thinking like today, this might be one of the reasons why um, Star Wars was trending so heavily today. It's the third anniversary of the release of 
The Last Jedi. Tomorrow's the fourth anniversary of the release of, of Rogue One. And so, like, this is the week where a Star Wars movie would be coming out. And uh, mm. this is now six Christmases, and it's only the second one where there isn't a Star Wars movie coming out. And granted, we do have some Mandalorian, which has been, like, really juicy, and that's getting us through the holiday season. Um, but I'm really, you know, starting to miss going not just going to movies in general but specifically going to a star wars movie at christmas time um mm. and so what you're describing right there is reminding me a little bit of being in a packed theater for Endgame and like how amazing that was and so i that that would be pretty sick well you're gonna have to wait until christmas 2023 yeah a little while and then patty jenkins soars into our theaters with Rogue Squadron. Yeah, yeah. The gripping tale of fighter pilots as they earn their wings uh, across the galaxy. And so Rogue Squadron is the most famous um, rebel and New Republic squadron uh, born out of Rogue One. Um, and they were essentially the more the most daring of the pilots, the best pilots. Uh, and Legends Wedge led Rogue One after, uh, sorry, led uh, Rogue Squadron uh, after Luke uh, led it at the, the Battle of um, Hoth. And uh, there was four or five novels and a couple comic series. And so there's a tons of lore around Rogue Squadron. So they're going to recast be... Wedge Antilles then. He's going to be like a new roll up for grabs. We have absolutely no idea because we are. that will be the inspiration and there will be references and there will be connections. But this is a new story and it will be ushering in a new era of Star Wars storytelling. And so... Does that mean this is going to be post Rise of Skywalker? Seems to be with the way the wording is. The logo has been so heavily analyzed. Uh, I'm not uh, a ship enthusiast uh, in Star Wars the way some people are, despite my giddiness about Slave One earlier. Um, people are comparing whether it's oh, is it the uh, is it the the T65, T70, T75, T85? Which X-wing model is it? Which era X-Wing? Is this the pre-Force Awakens X-Wing? Is this like the <laughs> Rise of Skywalker era X-Wings? But, you know, they only had the Force Awakens era ones because the Resistance was poor. However, they were producing the, the T-85. So it's like they there's people who know like their X-Wing models. And now that the, the Star Wars uh, Squadron games is out, that's going to be probably even more so. True, yeah. Um, but we, they're trying. people are trying to figure out the era based on the logo. Okay, what age X-Wing is this? Mm. Uh, and so we, we haven't figured it out, but it does appear to be sequel. So it, are we going to be in the Mandalorian time frame? Maybe closer to Force Awakens, probably more likely, but I'm going to put my money on it, gonna, on it being post-Rise of Skywalker. I, I think it may be that. You can get old Dennis Lawson um, to do a cameo because he would be a legend of Rogue Squadron, but you can hire different characters for it. Uh, you don't have to, to stick with really anybody who is in current canon there's a lot of possibilities with it it's exciting it's exciting uh for patty jenkins it was um mm. it, it it's funny this is what i realized just from the the corporate side uh of, of all that's happening in her career right now like wonder woman 1984 comes out on on christmas day it's the first of warner brothers 2021 slate essentially to mm. be coming out in tandem in theaters and on home video at the same time or hbo max i guess as the case is um and you know this this is a a director with a, a lot of clout in um in blockbuster filmmaking at this point enough mm. that she was able to command um back end points on wonder woman which 
had to be renegotiated. And I think they wrote her a check for like 10 million bucks to make up for, for that or, or, or something think, to that extent. I but, think her and Gal Gadot both got paid out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that's fine, but that's not the deal she asked for. And so uh, considering, you know, there is money to be made on the back end points of a star Wars movie, just ask JJ Abrams and Harrison Ford when they made the force awakens, she does have the credibility to, put that in her contract. And so considering the changing of the tides at Warner Brothers where she's made her home, it's a perfect time for her to move to Disney, especially since she has a personal investment in this story in particular. And why don't you expand on that? Yeah, absolutely. And also Kathleen Kennedy doesn't make it quiet when she wants to hire people. And she had said she had said before she wanted to hire Patty Jenkins. And so this was something that was clearly she was thrilled to do. And but Star Wars this- needs a, a feature film female director. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you bring in Deborah Chow now and she'll get more opportunities and Bryce Dallas Howard will get more opportunities because, I mean, these are people who are kicking ass and absolutely give them more opportunities to do so because they're killing it. Yeah. But Patty Jenkins, this is a really personal one for her because uh, her father uh, was a fighter pilot and uh, died uh, serving for uh, his country. And uh, it was something that she's wanted to make her entire career and she's wanted to make the best fighter pilot film there was with just like an extremely visceral uh, and important story that got you to understand the lives and the, the characters um, more than just the kind of the, the, the flyboy nature of things. And so uh, it really means a lot for, for her to be able to, to tell a story like that. And as someone who loves star Wars, that's a, that's a double check. And so she made this really great promo um, where it was she's talking about speed and then she talks about uh, her father's career as a fighter pilot and how she wanted to, to make the best fighter pilot movie that there was. And um, she's kind of doing some shuffling below the camera and then she pulls up the, the orange pilot jumpsuit and hops in her X-wing. And so it's a great little promo video, but it's awesome. uh, it shows that, yeah, this wasn't, okay, uh, who's a really good director? Okay, uh, hey, Patty Jenkins, do you want to do a Rogue Squadron movie? Do you like fighter pilots? Yeah, this is going to work. No, it was, okay, here's a really talented person and trying to figure out what drives them. What do they want to do? Uh, does that fit within what you want to tell as the overall narrative of Star Wars? Okay, is there a specific story to tell? What's the right medium? And then everything lines up right. And, and it gets me excited because this is not the first thing I would want as a movie, but I also want TV more than I want movies. Uh, I absolutely want movies though. Uh, I want uh, saga movies. I want a crawl. Uh, will this have a crawl? It probably shouldn't if they set precedent for anything else. And so uh, it, it, it's, it gets me excited because that's a lot of different just forms of Star Wars. And yeah. I'll, I'll take my medicine as in any way, shape or form. I'll happily take it. And so with all this TV, it means it's like it's not like you can't have a, your other Star Wars. Right. It's, it's not one versus the other. This is a bunch and it's intentionally to try and have all these options uh like beyond the rogue squadron movie there is going to be a droid story movie on disney plus and that will be uh, a really innovative approach to animation it like it's incredible like almost live action how incredible cool. it is um but it's gonna have a new hero ushered uh and kind of directed around in the story by 3po and r2 uh, we don't know whether that hero is going to be a droid too, or someone like Luke. 
Um, but that could be a, 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 it'll be clearly for, 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 for younger kids, but it'll be a cool kind of experiment. Uh, and it's a technical experiment, which is always great for star Wars. Anthony Daniels attached to that. Hell yes. Oh, wow. There is never an instance in which there is an opportunity to play C3PO and he says, no, you're right. I mean, the intro to our damn podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and every bloody radio play and uh, amusement park and, and all of it. And yeah, uh, I've, I have to say, I've listened to some interviews with Anthony Daniels recently. He's just uh, a wonderful person to listen to. I think so, too. Yeah. 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 We've got to appreciate the fan. Well, this is like truly a perverted amount of Star Wars stuff. It, it is. One more thing. Uh, not, mu- not much to say on it, but it was briefly mentioned the, the Taika movie. Uh, oh, and Jesus, so that yeah. is uh, coming out after Patty Jenkins. The next one will be Patty Jenkins, this movie. Uh, and so that uh, implies based on the last time Star Wars gave an announcement that Taika is scheduled for 2025. Wow. Uh, and seeing as that was the, the range in this, that makes sense. So Christmas 2025, uh, they showed a logo and it was like light blue with like kind of like a pinkish background. And it was almost like Flintstonesy, like schoolhouse rock. Um, but with that same vein, uh, Kathleen Kennedy had mentioned earlier uh, in her kind of song and speech about the 25,000 year history of the galaxy far, far away. Something that directly contradicts her statement a couple months ago about how she didn't know about the galaxy having history beyond the Skywalker saga, uh-huh. um, which goes to show that clearly she's had some learning to do lately. Yes, that's right. But also makes me believe that, okay, you just gave me 200 years of stories. Something here is going back a fucking long time. Right. So either the vision stories will have something that goes back a long time. Uh, There's something else in development that is going back to the old Republic or older. Or what my belief is on the Taika thing is I think Taika is going back to the beginning. I think Taika is going to go back to the initially we're going to have Dan and Dave maybe do the first Jedi, uh, the Game of Thrones guys. Mm-hmm. But I think that whether it's the first Jedi, the first Jedi Order, uh, the first Sith, uh, the first Force user, something like that might be what Taika's doing. And so that could be really cool. Uh, they showed this incredible kind of cosmic looking background with this uh, pyramid prism like shape. Uh, and the only two things in star Wars, it kind of looks like are, uh, Mortis because mm-hmm. Mortis is not, uh, Mortis is a prism shaped planet. It's not a sphere. Um, a Thoyor. Now Thoyor is something that I had never heard of before, but, uh, it was from a, a novel in legends and there were pyramid ships that were used to settle new worlds by Jedi. And so they were like, colon like they were colonies like, like spaceship colonies that were used uh in ancient times to travel long distances probably pre-hyperspace routes uh and to kind of settle new land and so this could be a, a really going back to the the roots of the galaxy with just so much unknown and the discovery of uh of this universe that we know and so it could be it could be really interesting, but we still, we don't know much about that. That's a lot of speculation on my part yeah. uh, from just a couple bits of imagery, but 
that's all we had to go with. <laughs> I kind of forgot about about Taika's movie just because we've been so overloaded with Star Wars news. And I mean, like, on the one hand, it sucks to have to wait five years, but it's not like we're not going to have stuff to tide us over in the meantime. Uh, exactly. of, of course, they're going to give him something that allows him to be a little outside the box. That's what he did so masterfully with Thor Ragnarok. And like, he's just got a really fun brain. So they, they should take advantage of that. Um, yeah. I'm so excited. Is that all the Star Wars news? Is that essentially the the gist of it? Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, it's worth noting Took that a while, this, but yeah, that was it. Maybe the longest podcast we've ever done, which is interesting because it's our hundredth episode of Recorder Sixty Six. We did it, not including bonus episodes. This is a hundred episodes of either recapping Star Wars or discussing our favorite things about Star Wars. Uh, there is, of course, one more episode uh, of The Mandalorian this season that comes out on Friday. Uh, I would, I, I've had a bad habit of like waiting a few days to watch episodes all season long. I've got to make sure I watch it on Friday. Uh, I would encourage literally everyone else to do that because there's going to be spoilers. Quite literally every episode since episode one, my internal clock has woken me up no later than six o'clock in the morning. And the last four weeks at 4.15, right? no, four to 4.15, that window of time, because that is quite literally the window of time it ar arrives on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> I have woken up, looked at my phone, checked Disney+, Plus, wasn't there, refreshed it, it was there. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> and it just was like... Okay, I'm going to get up. I, 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 usually I'll try and kick around in bed for an hour, but uh, it just doesn't work. And so. No, I'm going to uh, watch it on, on Friday morning. Um, I, I do, do want to say a happy birthday this coming Thursday, December 17th, to Ryan Johnson, who we've talked about a little bit. Hey. Uh, he has a birthday in Star Wars week, kind of. Uh, and happy birthday on Monday, December 21st, to Samuel L. Jackson. Um, one more episode of The Mandalorian, one more episode of the podcast before Christmas. Uh, let us know any thoughts you might have on this penultimate episode, uh, chapter 15 of The Mandalorian. You can um, email us, recorder66podcast at gmail.com. Tweet us at recorder66. Uh, and of course, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the finale as well. But until we are together again, may the force be with you.